rolling. <laughs> What's happening? Andy and Zach coming at you with episode 101 of the A to Z No BS podcast. And Andy, it's finally happened. We've finally gone viral. It's not even that we went viral. Technically, we didn't. Technically, you did. Well, sort of. I mean, you, you captured the moment, so... Actually, technically, I didn't even capture the moment either. That's true, but you were there. <laughs> yeah, was so there. we went viral. It's not even that we went viral. We went, like, billion jackpot lotto viral. Like, I, I don't want to underestimate... How infrequently that happens. That we have, as of this recording, 10.4 million views. Yeah. Like. So last week, when we were getting ready to podcast, this particular post was just starting to take off. And I think it had gotten up to like maybe 60,000. Not even. I think when we were doing our podcast this time last week, we were like in the 20,000s. Like 25,000. We were like, whoa, that's pretty wild. It was just starting to get some traction. Yeah. And now it's well over 10 million views. Right, which is pretty wild. It's very wild. So for those who haven't seen it or aren't familiar with what we're talking about, at Liftapalooza, Dan John was talking about the importance of uh, tension and... A, a fun kind of central nervous system trick is to test a baseline range of motion, flexibility test essentially, mm -hmm. and then do uh, any sort of muscle activation exercise and then retest your flexibility. And nine times out of 10, you get more flexible. So Dan John asked if anybody had tight hamstrings. And this was the first morning of Liftapalooza, and Andy had just rolled in, and we all know that Andy has tight hamstrings, <laughs> so he raises his hand. And so Dan John brings him up to the front, has you demonstrate your toe touch, mm -hmm. and you got to about mid-shin-ish, yeah. and then he had you uh, make fists. That's right side by side, and then squeeze your fists with your knees really, really hard mm -hmm. for about five seconds or so. I was gonna say five or 10 seconds, enough for him to like, dim, like talk us, talk the group through what we were doing. Enough for him to uh, make a dad joke yep. about Utah birth control. Yep. Stand up and then retest your toe touch, and you got all the way down. Voila, I like, touched, I, like reached under my toes, I'm pretty certain. And the crowd went wild. Yeah. And when I was thinking about, you know, when I was thinking about posting that, it was like, okay, it was like kind of cool on its own. Like the audio wasn't great. There was like kind of like fan noise. John didn't have the opportunity to put a personal mic on Dan John. So it was just mm. coming from the camera. So I was like, ah, this doesn't really sound that good. I don't think anybody's really gonna, I think the viewer experience is gonna be kind of bad. So I was thinking like, how in the world am I going to, how am I gonna like church this post up? And so I thought, you know, it's kind of like a mic drop moment when you redo your toe touch. And so then I thought, oh, I'll do that Dr. Dre uh, <laughs> next episode drop. Yeah. So I lined it up 
so that the the beat drop happened like as soon as you did that toe touch so it'd be like you know it would kind of hit and i was like okay well that's at least somewhat entertaining because i was like you know a, a video of andy touching his toes like this is this is not gonna this is not really gonna do anything you know so that's all that to say that's just another reason why it's so ironic is a i'm i'm not in it <laughs> uh, in, in any capacity. Uh, B, I thought the audio was not great. And I mean, John is a great videographer, but the angles were kind of weird because he was in the back of the room. Yep. So in no way, shape or form did I think that that post was going to do anything. And then here we are. One week later and we're insta-famous. Something like that. Well, and you, you got a ton of new followers, which is meaningful to you because you actually do a lot of content. And, you know, I, I kind of do want to flesh out this idea maybe in this podcast today, but you got how many new followers? About 10,000. About 10,000 new followers. I got like 600, which is good. It's a 50% increase for me. So um, as wild is, for perspective, it took like five or six years to get 10,000 followers. Oh, really? On, on Instagram. And in a week, you got 10,000 more? And Buddy. And in a week, I got 10,000. Buddy, more. now you're snowballing. <laughs> now, we're, now you're ready. Yeah, and I mean, what's lame is, is that, I, I don't know, I don't really have any content lined up to post, so I've just been kind of phoning it in, but. That's all right, you're allowed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's cool, and uh, you know, I, I had a couple people DM me and ask me some good questions or whatever about like, you know, they're like, it, there's a couple observations I'd like to make about this whole experience. And one of them is some of these things we sort of take for granted. Like you and I both knew what was going to happen or had a pretty good indication or an idea of what was going to happen in this video. It was not news to us to see that change in range of motion, right? It is like the best things in sliced bread for a lot of people. For a lot of people. And then, yeah, it's pretty wild. And, and I think there was a lot, for every comment that was like, oh, it didn't work, or oh, it's fake, or oh, he's, he's an actor, or whatever, there were people who were like, I tried it, and it worked. This is wild. And that's the best part about it. Um, you know, Dan John, being an amazing coach, makes it very simple to follow the instructions and try it for yourself. So, if, you know, if you're watching the video and you're like, oh, it's bullshit, whatever... Try it. Do exactly what he cued me up to do and, and see for yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of these things that we kind of take for granted. It's like, it's kind of, I don't know, physiology 101. Right. Where, you know, there's, there's many different central nervous system range of motion tricks in the book. Um, and I've, I mean, I've seen lots of really wild, really crazy you know, tricks that I certainly can't explain and it's kind of over my head. Um, I think the, I don't know if it's called the RPR method, um, but there's, there was one assessment that I went through where literally you just kind of, you kind of rub on certain muscles in a certain kind of way and you get wild changes in range of motion. Oh, I've never heard that one. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll double check on what the actual uh, method is, but... There's, there's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
Now, how practical these things are for athletes or gen pop clients or whatever your goals might be, uh, that's kind of a whole different conversation. But the fact of the matter is, is that the human body is very uh, influenceable. What's the word that I'm looking for? Um, Able to be influenced? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, just at the drop of a hat, right? So, yeah, to us, it's kind of it's old hat, but, you know, it's one thing to kind of like read the theory in a textbook or to see the information um, presented dryly, but when it kind of has like this almost behind the scenes kind of reality TV show effect where it's like, oh, let's pick up a guy from the audience and do this trick and see how it works. It was just that certain combination that had it hit where people are intrigued, like what's really gonna happen? And then of course, you know, I think the Dr. Dre, like people know that people know that a drop is coming. So they're like, okay, well, what's it gonna be? Right. And then they're inspired to try it for themselves. And my guess is why the views popped off so quickly. It's probably because people watched that video two or three or four times back right. to back. Right, because they're like, wait a minute, what happened there? Wait a minute, I need to see that again. Right. And so I think when the algorithm sees that people are watching and re-watching, it gets picked up. Right. Well, and you know, it's so there's, again, there's a lot of... There's a lot of information we can glean from this. Um, some people were amazed by it because it is cool. It is interesting. And to your point, you know, the human body is really incredible because I don't know if anybody else knew this, but you've got information that your body can sense and it sends that information to your brain and then your brain does stuff with that information. It's called afferent and efferent nervous system control or something like that, whatever. Right. I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, afferent is top down and from, from the brain and efferent is from the body is so yeah, body yeah. up and now it, and it's not even just muscles it can be uh you know blood vessels it can be blood pressure it could be you know heat cold tension whatever you get all this information from the body goes to the brain the brain does stuff with that information so all we did in that video is create greater range of motion by stimulating the sensation of more stability. Here's an interesting thing, and, and, and I try to use this in the gym sometimes. Um, let's say I've got a new client and they're like, oh, I really can't, like I need to work on my hip mobility or my flexibility, I can't squat very deep. And then you put them in a constrained environment. I call it a stripper pole squat, but like you hang onto a pole and I have mm -hmm. a pole in my gym. It's not a stripper pole. It's just a structural pole. <laughs> I have a structural pole in my gym. So I'll be like, hang on to that and, and drop into a squat. And all of a sudden, they can go ass to grass, and it's not a big deal. And have, so, have you ever seen the squat where someone will actually take like a, a stick or like, like if you've seen like the mobility uh, poles, like the mobility sticks? In any case, it's the same basic idea. Have you seen someone stab the ceiling to create stability, tension, uh. pressing upwards while keeping their hands like somewhat neutral? Yeah. And they basically push themselves down into a squat. Whoa. Okay. By actually, you know, just pushing up with like a broomstick or, 
you know, insert whatever stick up into the ceiling. Wow, okay. Yeah, which, I mean, I guess if you're holding on to your, you know, gym pole, you could do the same thing, just grip really tight and try to push the pole upwards. Right. Same, yeah, same basic idea. I also wonder, this is a little sidebar, I was thinking about this while we were talking, because we started talking about sticks. I wonder if you could just do a peck stick close hold. That's another interesting point, to kind of bring it back full circle to Liftapalooza, because we had a full peck stick right. um, seminar. Could you do just, because for those that don't know, the peck stick is a stick that's got a big spring in between two handles, and you can close it and open it using your pecs, right? Yeah. But a lot of tension to close it. So create the tension by closing the stick. Now we're activating shoulders, chest, muscles, stuff like that. That has nothing to do with your hips. Do you think that we could do a pre and post um, intervention with the pec stick and create a better squat pattern by just doing pec stick? My hunch is that we could. Sure. Um, but anyway, all that is to say, the, what was going on in the video is we stimulate the brain to perceive a more stable environment which allows for greater range of motion. You're already doing this when you do a static stretch. Like when you bend over and, and try to touch your toes and let's say you hold a hamstring stretch for 30 or 60 seconds and after 60 seconds you, f you can reach your toes, you actually haven't done anything other than the same thing we're talking about, this feedback loop of you start to stretch, you feel that sensation, you feel that tension. It sends a signal to your brain and says, hey, you know, we've got this tension. Let's unlock that a little bit. Like we're comfortable, we're safe, we're okay. And then your brain's like, all right. And it relaxes that tissue a little bit and you sink a little bit deeper into that stretch. That signaling is no different. We just did it way faster with, you yeah. know, the hands between the knees thing. So couple observations. This is stuff that we've known for a long time, but I think it does take, and that's, I think, part of the virality, virility, virility. We're, um, it's ability to go viral. Um, yes, we're virile, virile in our virality. Anyway, um, is it takes this concept and, and demonstrates it quickly and yeah. in, a, in a way that people can see and understand and then you blow their minds, and then you get one of two people. One that's like, holy shit, this is really cool, I need to know more, and also this is fun. Other people who are very emotionally attached to their static stretching routines. You know what's wild? There, there was, I was kind of almost surprised at the comments that I didn't see. Mm. First of all, I almost didn't post that video because I thought it was, I thought the joke could have been a little offensive. Oh, uh, yeah, to, you're right. <laughs> to Mormons, I guess, is yeah. who that joke was directed towards. Utah birth control. I think there was, out of 10 million views, I think there was one guy who was like, ha, good joke. Yeah. Like, nobody, I mean, to be fair, maybe a lot of these people don't even really understand English and didn't even oh, really right. perceive the joke in the first place. Right. Um, and then on the other side, yeah, there really wasn't a whole lot of, you know, oh, just stretch or oh, just do yoga or, you know, stuff like that. I think it was, it was really just like, oh, this is fake. This, that's an actor or he bent his knees or whatever. If you had known that you would be subject to the 
scrutiny of millions of people on the internet when you did that, you would have uh, really demonstrated your, your positioning, I think, a little bit better. Maybe you wouldn't have worn those big baggy sweatpants. Well, right. I mean, I made that comment, you know, I was like, I'm wearing sweatpants, lady, come on. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to glean from that video and a lot of people were really mad, which is interesting to me, like, or just the fact that people just don't want to believe it. It's like, I still have a client. I have demonstrated this a number of times, this concept of proximal stability, distal mobility. I've demonstrated it a number of times and I still have a client who will swear up and down that he, that he has to stretch, that it's, that it's good for you to stretch. And I'm like, you can stretch if you want to, but don't tell me it's good for you. Well, so here's, here's another overarching point is that range of motion, which you can read as flexibility, is largely a condition of the central nervous system, mm -hmm. not a condition of the length or pliability of your muscle tissue. Right. Like your muscle, your muscles don't get longer. Right. You know, if your muscles actually got longer, then you would have floppy muscle hanging yeah. off your joints. <laughs> you know, it's like your muscles don't, they don't really change length. It's, it's not like when you like, like stretch out a t-shirt and you like. Right, you'd have like wrinkly. <laughs> like extra excess. You'd have wrinkly stretched out muscles. Yeah, I need to tuck that in. Now on the microscopic level, sure there's, there's maybe probably very, very tiny, very, very small amounts of structural pliability that opens up, but we're not, we're not talking much. We're not talking inches. Well, and actually they found in research that it takes 60 minutes of, of a stretch for the length of a muscle tissue to change. And, and that, people, that blows people's minds too. And I use a rubber band in the gym to demonstrate this. When you stretch a rubber band, you and I have talked about this a dozen times, so I'm gonna bore you, but when you stretch a rubber band, point A and point B get away from each other. They lengthen, there's distance that is created between point A and point B. Muscle tissue doesn't work like that. Muscle tissue, when you hold a stretch for 60 seconds, point A and point B don't change. The actual physical length of the insert origin and insertion of let's say your hamstring doesn't change. It's only your sensation of tightness or, or flexibility that changes. And so people get, and then they get real mad about that. And they're like, so what's happening? I'm like, well, your brain senses that there's tension. You send it information. It turns that, ten that tension down and you gain range of motion. But is what dad's saying really funny? He's like, I don't know, I'm kind of sleepy. So all that is to say, and this happens everywhere in fitness, you can, you can demonstrate through literature, research, through hell, a video on a reel, a concept, and people will, they just will flat out deny it. Right. I'm sure it's human nature, right? We, we do this with all sure. sorts of things. Of the course. things we believe or don't believe are cognitive biases. It's just interesting to see it play out in real time for something to me as benign as whether or not stretching your hamstrings is worth your time and energy and effort. Well, here's, I mean, yeah, we don't, we don't believe what we see. We see what we believe. Mm. Which is why everybody was like, that's fake. Right. So, yeah. 
Just, and and also, you know, we didn't we didn't really frame it, or specifically, I or Dan John didn't frame it as stretching is a waste of time. Although maybe if and when we do repost it, it would be interesting to see the reaction if we give it a different title. Because right now it's just the Dan John flexibility hack. Yeah, we just retitle it. Stretching is a waste of time. Now that, that might, I think could be the move. Yeah, that might that might beat these current numbers. Are you are you ready for that war, Andy Van? Let's see let's see what happens. You I'm ready? not gonna read the comments. You and I talked about this off you air. You ready to go to war? Oh I'm <clears throat> oh I'm reading the comments. No, I'm not reading the comments. I'm reading the comments. We talked about this off air on Saturday. Uh, uh, these people as as much as I want to help these people, I don't owe them anything. If they want to try the demonstration and see for themselves, they've got all they need. I did. There was a guy that slid my DMs and was asking me about it. And he's like, is there another video that explains it? And I did try to find something, but I was with her like this, trying to find a detailed video about proximal stability and distal mobility. It was a pain in the ass. So I was like... Do some research on afferent, efferent, like neuromuscular, inf whatever. I was like, start there and see what you can find. Because I'm trying to, I was like, I just have a, had a daughter and I'm trying to find something. And this is what's happening in my life all the time. This is what my free time consists of. Trying to figure out what she's doing and right. why she's needy. <laughs> so, sorry, adult humans, if you want more information. Right now, I've got... A child, a tiny human that needs more of my attention. Listen, so. load up your chat GPT yeah. and type in, does the toe touch challenge really work? Yeah. Is it true? You could probably even call it toe touch challenge. Yeah. I, I, think, I think there's room to repost mm -hmm. this thing and just to kind of see, just to kind of test it out. <laughs> we'll maybe give it some different uh, headlines. Um, my guess is Instagram will probably catch on and be like, let's shadow ban this clown Bro, for like. reposting the same thing. But it is funny. Um, another interesting thing, I mean, it's, it's very cool to see something go viral like this. You know, I've, I've created many thousands of pieces of content. Most of them have... Most of them, in the grand scheme of things, have reached some amount of my subscriber base, my audience, but hasn't, you know, really, obviously, traveled beyond that. And that's fine. And that's actually a-okay because you kind of the way that I see it is that I'm making content for my audience, right? And not for nothing, 10 million people is not my audience. Yeah, like maybe a small subsection of those ten million. Nine point nine eight million of those people don't care about kettlebell training. I mean, they don't that's care still, about that's still four hundred thousand people. Still four hundred thousand people. Absolutely, that's a decent number of people. Absolutely. If you had so, four hundred thousand new subscribers on your email, that'd be great. That'd be great. I, I could. I mean, I could definitely retire. Yeah. Like, yeah. At that point, yeah. Um, but the overarching point here is that kind of the double-edged sword is by its vi very nature a viral piece of content isn't a niche piece of content mm -hmm. and like I'm a niche content creator you're a niche service provider mm -hmm. um, you know if it was a video that did 10 million <clears throat> 10 million views where you were like demonstrating a safety bar squat 
like something that is like so very, or as I think I was mentioning, if you went viral for uh, a gym tour, like your gym, you and your gym would be famous for exactly what it is that you stand for. Yeah. This was just kind of a random thing. Like we're not flexibility gurus. Um, there was really no thing to, you know, there's really nothing to latch onto there other than, oh, it's kind of a fun trick to kind of watch. Right. It's a good little party trick. Which is, you know, which is fine. Um, but that's also why, uh, you know, as cool as it is, I'm, I'm also a little um, not affected um, or not like jumping out of my seat excited because the vast majority of these people are just discovering just a random piece of content that is just getting eyeballs. It's not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily inspiring people to get up and lift weights. Right. You know? So, but all that to say, I think they're out of those millions of folks, there probably is at least a few in there whose lives will be positively changed by yeah. our content in some way. I'm just going to start telling people, be like, stop stretching. Just stop. Just don't do it. Well, you you might save you might save hundreds of thousands of man hours. Honestly, out you there. could you could rename that video literally just stop stretching like exclamation exclamation point. Mm. Stop stretching because people are going to be like, whoa, he just told me to stop deadlifting, Ugh. or whatever. People have you know emotional ties to stuff. It's pretty wild. So yeah, but anyway, once in a lifetime numbers. That's cool. Once in a lifetime numbers for sure. And I'm fine with that. We've yeah. talked about this. And, and I think that's something... I, I've been thinking about this, and, and you and I can talk about this more off-air, maybe on Saturday, but... Um, practically, I think, you know, I got like 600 new followers. Now, if those followers were in Nashville and they wanted to come work out with me, that would be a positive outcome for this video going viral. Right. If of the 10.4 million views that we've had as of this podcast... You got a, a whole subset of, uh, of new subscribers on your YouTube and your email list, and they are buying products. We can make an argument that the, how viral this went was a net positive for our businesses, outside of just it being neat, right? But as of right now, as far as I know, it has not meant anything in terms of um, revenue for our respective businesses. I want to sidestep this conversation for a second. That doesn't mean that all content creation isn't worthwhile because not everything is going to net revenue. But if you're doing this, I mean, you and I do this for a living. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, all this effort, we hope does something in, ter in terms of improving our businesses, whether that's name recognition or revenue or, or whatever, right. So I'm not sitting, I'm not going to sit here and say that content creation is, is useless with all these views because you would argue, because you do a lot of it, you would argue against that. The reason I bring all this up though is because I give this, this talk at NTSU and I'm curious, I'll be curious to know if A, there's any influencers in that room when I go, I kind of doubt it, but we'll see, and B... Is the juice worth the squeeze on this idea of going viral? Like, plenty of people would murder 
to have the kind of viewer viewership that we got on that video. Lots of people would love to break a million, let alone 10 million views on a video. And yet, as far as you and I can tell, it hasn't meant anything. We haven't gotten, no one's calling us for sponsorship deals. Nobody's calling us for, you know, showing up uh, on some fitness podcast that's not ours. In other words, it's great. It's cool. I, I'm glad it's out there. But I, I would caution anybody who's entering fitness hoping to like, air quotes, strike gold and go viral because I think it would take a lot, a lot, a lot of going viral for it to mean anything meaningful in terms of revenue. In other words, I don't think a lot of people are going to retire on Instagram real views. Yeah, no. In fact, I would, I would argue the opposite. Uh, the, the idea is really to find and develop a very small audience, mm -hmm. a very small niche audience. And if you're not familiar with um, Kevin Kelly's Thousand True Fans article. No, I don't know that one. Uh, I would say it probably would only take you 10 minutes to read. Peruse that okay. and share that with your MTSU students because that's basically your modern day, like, MBA mm -hmm. in a nutshell. Wow. And it's basically all there in the title. Like, if you can just have a thousand... So, this article was written many years ago, kind of, uh, kind of maybe like at the dawn of, like, social media, maybe kind of like between, like, uh, the Napster and social media. Holy shit, that's eons ago in terms eons. of, like, social media. Yes. Yeah. But in any case... Uh, this, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Kevin Kelly. His basic premise is that if you have a thousand true fans and they each spend $100 with you a year, that's a six figure business. Yeah. Like boom, bing, bang, boom. Like what else, like what else is there? Right. And if you do have aspirations of, you know, really scaling, really going to the next level, well, you still have to find those thousand true fans first, and then you scale those. Right. That's right. We have at least one fan. One true one, fan. One super fan. Lady, you got some words today. So that theory, I think, is very applicable to like bands, mm -hmm. musical artists, um, you know, any sort of creative but also like service providers, also people, also people like us, really. Dude, it goes I... back to that same old thing. Like, would you rather have a million views of people who don't really care about you or a hundred views or a hundred people that really, really do? Yeah. I think, and I think you're right. I, I get more um, uh, fulfillment. If anything, I just get fulfillment um, when I engage with my followers on Instagram that I actually kind of sort of know not maybe I've never met in person But like we share similar interests and so we talk about stuff like I can think like forerunner stuff like Toyota stuff There's a lot of people in the Toyota community. I've never met before face-to-face -face. But we share a common interest and even though that group is relatively small I am more inclined to engage with those people because we have a very common interest like we share ideas actually we buy stuff from each other like share physical things that we can ship i don't know but to that point yeah like i don't care 10 million 10.4 million 
people, I don't, honestly, of my own followership, I only think like 30 or 40 of my own friends liked that video. Sure. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, hey, it's, uh, at the end of the day, it's kind of a cool thing that happens. It just goes to show the power and the reach of social media, of something like Instagram, where you can refresh the page and you just get, you know, 10,000 views a minute. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really just wild. Um, but yeah, uh, you throw enough darts at the board, eventually you hit a bullseye. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a cool little thing to check off the, uh, the bucket list, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, at the end of the day, it's just another day at the office, clients to train, there's articles to write, there's more, you know, more videos to make. Um, so yeah, again, I just hope that there's at least a subsection of all the people who are uh, exposed to the posts that are actually into what I do or what we do. And maybe out of all those, maybe a few people are actually in Nashville and are looking for a gym. That'd be cool. Stumble upon Andy Van Strength and Conditioning. That'd be cool. And then when you stumble upon my gym and I take your phone number, make sure I actually got it. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I need to. <laughs> Andy. Andy's got your name. He does not got your number. Yeah. That's what happened today. He got, he got his name and didn't get his number. And then. How much time do we have on this podcast? Because there's, there's something I, I did. There's one thing I did want to. Training wise, I want to talk about. Yeah. We're at 35. All right, we got a few minutes. We got a few minutes. I don't think this is going to be a long one. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think I mentioned this one the other day, and I had this conversation again with a client today. Um, this client has been with me for like ten years, and I think her max barbell deadlift all time is like one fifty five, one sixty five, one fifty five for reps, maybe one sixty five for one. Now she's in her sixties. She's very petite. I would say maybe one thirty, one thirty five. Um, grandmother of multiple grandchildren, um, great woman, awesome, been with me for 10 years. Today we were deadlifting and she was feeling a little bit of aches, you know, achy this, achy that. We got to like 125 for reps and she made the comment about how we hadn't been to 155 in a while and we haven't. And there's a couple, there's a couple things about this. First, I'm not so sure she needs to hit 155 pounds every other week. She, she's one of those like recreational. She comes to me because it keeps her in shape for her daily life stuff. So we don't need to necessarily like move the needle every single workout. We're just, we're squatting, we're deadlifting, we're pressing, we're having a good time. There's a social aspect to it. It's a great time, whatever. Like we're just making sure everything's moving and grooving every week. She was like, you know, oh, I should really hit 155. I haven't touched it in a really long time. And I was like, I mean, we can. Well, a day when you feel good, let's do it. And we talked about it. And she was like, I feel like I should be able to go to like 165, 175. And I thought of, you and I have talked about this. Maybe, yeah. The point of training is to get stronger, right? What is strong enough? Mm. 
and I, I thought about this, like, what is, as far as, like, business revenue, what is enough money every month? You what know, is enough strength in the weight room? What is enough capacity? You know, I think every strength coach has their own pet standards. I think it might be a valuable conversation to have with each of your clients individually. Like, what is your reasonable expectation as a coach? What are their overarching goals as a lifter? And it might be worth having the conversation to actually like put a number on it. Like when we hit this, we, we don't like, maybe we can touch it, you know, every now and then, but we don't necessarily have to go above that. Right. Well, and on the one hand, I'm like, am I, am I being too soft on my clients by not pushing their limits all the time in some meaningful way? And on the other hand, I'm like, how much sh would 165 be that much more meaningful to her life outside of the gym? Would right. 175 be that much more meaningful to her life with her family and her grandkids and like what she does as a, you know, like you can't necessarily quantify the value of more strength in the weight room outside of the weight room beyond right. like certain like daily tasks, like being able to lift your luggage into the overhead bin or being able to, you know, I don't know, pick up your dog and walk upstairs kind of, you know, like I'm just trying or, or even hang on to a, an infant, a squirming infant one handed and go up and down steps or get down on the ground and play with your kids or your grandkids. After a while, I, I have a hard time equating air quotes, enough strength in the weight room that translates into a meaningful experience of life outside. Yeah. Um, and, and you and I both know the pursuit of more and more and more strength really starts to narrow things down. Yeah. Is it worth it to do that? Well, this goes back to the theme that we've hit on a lot, which is, what are you measuring? What are you managing? What's the target? Right. Or, you know, when a, when a target becomes a measurement, it ceases to become a good measurement. Right. Right. So, and that's a tricky thing for us as personal trainers, specifically as strength coaches, because, you know, we're, you know, we hang our hats on certain numbers. You know, our clients squat this, you know, and that has value to a point and obviously it depends on the client but yeah i mean this is something that you know dan john talks you know a lot about um when is enough enough when like you know if you're hitting these standards your problem isn't in the weight room Right. And because we work in the weight room, we want to think that all of our problems are in the weight room. Right. Well, so if someone two, is strong enough, it kind of almost, I mean, probably certainly not for someone like you or maybe me, but maybe subconsciously or maybe for our industry in general, if every problem is a fitness problem or every problem is a maximal strength problem, well, we're comfortable there because that means that we're valuable. Yeah. But if the, you know... If the best line of action doesn't involve us adding another 10 pounds to your deadlift, then what are we good for? Right. That's, you know, that's certainly the maybe 
underlying subconscious line of thought there. Well, and two, you know, we can't walk. I am not a 60-year-old woman with grandkids. I can't walk in her shoes. I don't know what it's like to live her life. So my frame of reference is not her frame of reference. And I have to be careful about that because part of our job description as strength coaches is to help improve the strength and capacity of our clients, right? But I don't know what their life is like. I only know, I can only walk in my own shoes. I only know what it's like to have this one baby at 35 years old. In other words, I'm a 35-year-old former athlete. My frame of reference for what is and isn't acceptable for fitness is way different than a 60-year-old grandmother, you know? So I have to be careful not to use my frame of reference for every single one of my clients. And, and so that's why it's an ongoing conversation. It's also why with those people, if we get to, I'll ask them, well, let's work up to something that feels good for three today and rip that. I don't care if it's 115 or if it's 155. I, I don't think it matters that much. We're talking like in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. At that age and that ability, like who cares? Yeah. Um, you know, and I'd like to push them, but then, you know, the, the risks of aches and pain, like are we training for, and, and I remind my clients, what we do in the weight room is supposed to make their life outside the weight room better. If what we do in the weight room makes their life outside the weight room worse, or they're in pain, or they're sore all the time, or they don't want to get on the ground, or if they're so sore that they're inactive the next day, then I don't think that I'm really doing them much good. Right. They're not an athlete that has to perform at a high level tomorrow, or two days from now. They're a regular person that has to run around town doing errands and watching grandkids. Is what we're doing making them okay enough to do that? Or am I prohibiting them from doing all that because they're so sore or in so much pain because I, you know, 165-pound deadlift, you know? Yeah. Well, again, yeah, I think you're, you're a great coach. And so I think you having these conversations with your clients, if and when, you know, you kind of start flirting with that line, makes sense. I think we should normalize that in this industry. Right. You know? Like, there's... There's no harm in saying like, hey, when it comes to a certain poundage, enough is enough. Right. And there's a million ways that you can continue to make progress without necessarily lifting the next 10 pounds. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, if your clients trust you, then, and obviously they do, then you know you're off to the races. Well, so then that, that also affords you the opportunity to... To be more creative in your programming. Right. Like, hey, if we don't, if, if you're rocking, you know, this 155, you know, deadlift, and that's practically as heavy as we ever need to get, well, how do we dance in and around that number without, like, pushing it? You right. know, where are other things that we can do within the workout, within the, you know, training block to work on other capacities or, you know just to explore other movements, other combinations of things without the eye for having a heavier deadlift as a target. I think about that too with my own fitness. Like there are certain things that I'd like to get more of or more out of, but after, you know, after a while, I, I, I think I've at least mentioned it in my Instagram and you and I've talked about it. 
I've been having this groin issue that I don't know if it's like a, like a groin muscle thing or if it's a hernia thing. So I had to back off heavy squats because it hurts. Right. You know, like, which sucks, but like at the same time, like, I thought. Who are you it, trying to impress? Well, yeah, that, and I think about it. Just and as, me. As much as I try to push my squat numbers higher and higher, it's, I, you run into the same issue, whether you're, you're deadlifting 155 or 405. Eventually, you start to bottleneck yourself so much that even if you were to squeeze out, even if you were to squeeze out 10 more pounds, what? I can tell people I deadlift 415 which you and I both know by pedestrian standards is pretty average. Sure. Do I want to murder myself to get to pretty average deadlift numbers? Do I want to bottleneck myself so much to do that? And the answer most of the time is no. I enjoy training for all the different reasons that I enjoy training. Bottlenecking myself to pull 10 more pounds on a deadlift is not one of those things I feel like doing. All right, are you trying to tell us to wrap it up? Oh. This... If you you've been watching this, Cheese Louise, squirmy girl. She is wow active today. <laughs> well, that does it from us on this the 101st of the A to Z No BS show with Summer. Yeah, we've gone viral. We've seen it all. We've done it all. So again, thank you so much for listening. See the post, like the post, share the post, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>